0: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures.
1: He leads me beside still
0: waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy
1: shall follow me all the days of my life.
0: And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
1: Well, if you're a guest joining us, you are here on a... Great Sunday. We are in our last message in a series that we've done called Satisfied, where over the last seven weeks we've been walking through Psalm 23. This is our last Sunday studying this Psalm. If you have a Bible, you can open there. It's page 474 on that P Bible in front of you, on the rack in front of you. And resonate, it's in the chair right in front of you. A gestalt switch. My guess is there's a number of people in this room that know what that word, that, those, that phrase means, but my guess is that most of you have had this experience at one time or another. You, you've seen a, a picture that you initially saw one way, but then recognize that there's more than one way to see this picture. Now, um, how many of you, when you look at this picture, see an older woman? Will you raise your hand? Okay. Hey. How many of you see a younger woman? Um, so if you don't see the older woman, here's her nose right here and then her mouth and her chin. If you don't see the younger woman, here are her, here's her eyelash. She's sort of looking this way. This is, I think, a really cool looking hat. Okay. Um, how many of you now see both? Yeah. It wasn't that one disappeared. It was just that your perspective changed you were able to see both. Both are true. Both are there. That's called a gestalt switch. How many of you see uh, an hourglass shape? Raise your hand. How many of you see two people looking at each other? How many of you see both? (laughs) Yeah, and both are there. This is a phenomenon that we don't just experience when we look at some um, uniquely designed pictures. It's also a phenomenon that we experience when we look at the world. We see things one way for a certain amount of time, and then we go, well, there's, there's more than one way to, to see this. Some of you had this experience when the Chargers moved away from San Diego. Initially, you were really disappointed, and now you've recognized you're not as emotionally invested when they lose to the Raiders. (laughs) Two ways of seeing the same thing. On a more serious note, though, maybe you got news that your health was not what you had hoped it would be. Maybe it was a cancer diagnosis, and it was painful and hard. And you've seen as time has gone on that it's also brought this value to life this beauty that you never could have imagined it's a gestalt switch maybe there was a no to a job or a no to a relationship that initially was really really painful but you've seen as time has gone on that it's that no has opened up a number of different yeses that you could never have imagined Uh, both are true Both are true. And in this last phrase of Psalm 23, David is going to invite us to make a gestalt switch in the way that we look at this world that we live in. Here's what he writes. Psalm 23, verse six. Surely, will you say it with me, church? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever. There's these two words translated goodness and mercy that David uses that are core to the Hebrew identity. Goodness, it's this word tobe. Will you say it with me, church? Tobe. And it means good. <laughs> Uh, We see it on the very first page in the scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. God creates light and he says, it is, it is Tob, it is good. At the end of that Genesis poem, in Genesis chapter 1, this narrative poem where the author uh, points out, God at the very end of it says, it is very good, talking about all that he's made. This is God's way of stepping back and high-fiving himself. What you can do if you're Trinity, right? He high-fives himself. Oh, this is good work. I've done really good work here. Tob. The, The ground of reality of the universe of creation is Tob. It's good. It's really good. The second word is the Hebrew word chesed. And if you don't spit on somebody around you, you are not saying this right. Okay, so you might want to cover your mouth when you say it. it's, it's chesed. Can we say it together? Chesed, right. Chesed, some have argued, is the most important word in the entire Hebrew scriptures. It's so multifaceted and multidimensional that it's translated in a number of different ways. But what this word does, this word chesed does, is it combines two ideas, faithfulness and love. You might read it as loving kindness in some translations or covenantal faithfulness. It's this idea that God will not leave you even if you fail him. That God will continue to be for you even when you're against him. Chesed. Rabbi Simlai said, Torah begins and ends with chesed. Psalm 89 verse 2 said that Chesed is the foundation of the world. And what David says in the end of this great psalm is that Tob and Chesed follow him. One more Hebrew word. It's the word Radaf. Will you say it with me? Radaf. And it means to follow. But but more than that, it means to hunt or to stalk, or to seek out, or to pursue. I had the chance on Monday, Veterans Day, to sneak out of work a little bit early and take my kids to see the cheetah run at the safari park. And if you've been there and seen that, you've seen this animal running at 70 miles an hour. It's just breathtaking, isn't it? to watch this happen in front of you. And I just thought the whole time, this is actual footage. No, it's not, I'm just kidding. Uh, This is, I just thought this whole time, the whole time I was watching it, what would it be like to be on the other end of that pursuit out in the wild? (laughs) Not pretty, (laughs) not pretty. That's Rutoff. hunting, chasing, pursuing, Saying, you can run and you can hide, but I'm going to find you. (laughs) To and Chesed run off you every single day of your life. Will you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm being followed? being followed. And that's really important. That's really important because sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? Sometimes life stings and sometimes life hurts and it can be difficult to remember and realize that Tob and Hesed are redoffing us every moment of every day. But David ends this epic poem by reminding us of the world that we live in, inviting us to have a gestalt switch. I didn't see it that way at first. Oh, but now, now I see it. And seeing God in the world changes the world you see. It changes the way that the world looks. It's like putting on new glasses that allows things to show up in more clarity and with more goodness and with more love. But the second part of this point is that the world you see shapes the life you live. This is not insignificant to recognize that Tobin has said, are following us right now, today. But many of you would point out, if we were having this conversation over a cup of coffee, you would point out to me, yeah, but Ryan, Ryan, it's not that clean. It's not that simple. You might point out to me the reality that Tobin has said aren't the only things following us. And you know what I would say to you? You're right. You're absolutely right. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes to the churches and he says this, Be sober-minded. Uh, think about the way that you're thinking. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. If it were in the Hebrew, it would be radaf. Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. <laughs> See, God's not the only one on the prowl. Tobin has said, aren't the only things hunting you down. Your enemy is also hunting. Uh, He comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus is on the hunt that you might have life and have it to the full. In one of the parables, the stories that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13, he said, the world is sort of like this. There's a farmer that goes out into his field and he sows seeds of wheat. And he goes to bed. And at night, his enemy comes and starts to sow seeds of weeds. And in the morning, all the wheat and the weeds are growing up together. He says, Jesus, It's one of the only two of the parables that Jesus explains. And when he explains it, he says, oh yeah, the good farmer is the son of man sowing good seeds into the field, which is the world. And the bad farmer is the devil sowing bad seeds into the world. And they both grow up together. Is the field good or bad? Yeah. What do you see when you look at it? An hourglass or people? Well, both are there. Both are there. And Jesus' point is that God only sows good seed, but God isn't the only one sowing seeds. The, 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 The enemy prowls around. He's on the hunt also. And the truth of the matter is you and I will be prey to something. One of those narratives will capture our heart and our mind. And would you agree? that it's way easier to see the negative than it is to see the positive. I think seeing the negative is actually our default. I think that seeing evil comes naturally, but seeing good takes intentionality. That's why there've been Facebook groups like Humans of New York that have developed where they tell stories of good in the world because it's so easy to find the negative, isn't it? All you have to do, if you don't believe me, on your way home, just turn on talk radio and you'll go, oh, Paulson was right. Paulson was right. And a couple on top of that, that outrage and hype media sells in our day and time, I think we must be far more intentional about disciplining ourselves to actually see that Tobin has said are around every bend. On our best day and on our worst day. I am not, please hear me, Emmanuel Faith, I am not asking you to bury your head in the sand and pretend like everything is great when it's not. That's not my intention. In fact, just the opposite. I'm inviting you begging you to look harder and longer, to discipline yourself, to see that God is hiding behind every turn, behind every joy and every hurt, every blessing and every petition, to see that every bush is burning with Tobin has said, he is ratifying you every moment of every single day of your life. And this morning, I want to invite you through Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount to reimagine what it might look like to live under this banner. If you have your own Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 6, where we have this great teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And the whole premise of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching his followers how to live in his kingdom. It's, uh, this sermon is birthed in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Goodness and mercy are here. Right now, today. But it takes intentionality to actually live in that kingdom, to live seeing Tob and said." And to that end, Jesus begins to teach in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 25. And there's a few, what I'm going to call, gestalt shifts or switches that Jesus is inviting us to make. Verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? It's a rhetorical question Emmanuel. faith. You're more valuable. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, it connects it to this larger idea in verse 25 that Jesus is unpacking. And he says, therefore, because God is present and God is good, and Tobin has said, are hunting you you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to worry. In the Greek, it's this word, merimnao, oh, and it literally means to be pulled in two directions, to turn to, to pieces. An internal narrative might sound like this God, I know you provide, but I got bills to pay. And God, I know you care about me but life really stings right now. And God, I know you promise to be good in every moment of every day, but right now I can't see it. Pulled back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus sets this in direct contrast to verse 22 where he talks about being healthy, which literally means to be healthy unified. And his invitation to you and I is to move from a place because of his hunting and mercy and goodness here right now today from worry to confidence. But wouldn't it be nice if we could just put do not worry on a task list and just check it off and be done with it? I mean, is Jesus going Bobby McFerrin on us? Don't worry, be happy. Or maybe to fast forward a few decades, is he going hakuna matata on us? Means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free philosophy. You hung me out to dry. (laughs) Manually. Hopefully not in resonate. Yeah. Hakuna matata. It means no worries. It means no worries. Is that what Jesus is saying? It's easier said than done. Over the last decade, we've seen... It's, there's been a shift. College students used to go to counseling because of depression. That was the number one reason. Now the number one reason college students seek out counseling services is because of anxiety. The number one highlighted verse in the entire Bible on Kindle is Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Be anxious about nothing but in everything with thanksgiving and prayer and petition present requests to God. It's the number one highlighted verse right now in the Bible. And see, here's the invitation from Jesus. The invitation from Jesus is to live free from worry. It doesn't mean that we don't care. It's not hakuna matata. It doesn't mean we don't care. It means we understand we don't control. That's the shift. And we're able, because of who God is, and because Tobin and his said are here right now today, we're able to release control to the goodness of God, trusting that because he's present, this world is a perfectly safe place for us to be, even when it doesn't feel like it is. And by the way, Jesus embedded in this sermon says two things about worry. He says, worry is Unnecessary. Your father knows what you need. He also says it's unhelpful. Who by worrying could add a single hour to their life? That's Jesus's way of going Dr. Phil on us and saying, how's that working out for you? And not only that, not only can worry not add hours to your life, what we now know that Jesus knew also is that it can actually subtract hours from your life. And so, what if we? What if we, as a community of faith, were convinced of what Corey Tenboom said? Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its troubles, it empties today of its strength. And what if we decided every time we get worried, we're going to start praying Help me, Jesus, help me see Tob and Chesed right now in this moment? Because I know. You're chasing after me. Second invitation from Jesus. He said this in this sermon Look, verse 26 look at the birds of the air, consider the lilies of the field. We have real problems in a real world, and Jesus, please hear me, is not asking us in any way, shape, or form to ignore those things. He's actually asking us to be way more observant of other things. Take in the birds. Look at them. They don't labor, or they don't toil, or spend. They don't worry, and yet your heavenly Father provides for them. Consider the flowers. Here's his invitation. Move from a place of distraction to a place of awareness. Jesus is making a very intuitive point here. He's saying distraction is your default. If you are not intentional about seeing, you won't see at all because God's goodness and mercy and love is so constant that it inoculates us to it and we become unaware. Let me give you an example. How many times have you woken up in the morning and thought, my goodness, I feel great today. How many times, though, when you're not feeling good, have you woken up and thought, oh, I just feel absolutely terrible today? And most of the time we feel pretty good, don't we? Most of the time our bodies work the way that they're supposed to work. And when they do, we don't recognize that they do. We just don't see it because it's always there. But when it's missing, oh, then we see it. My family and I just moved into our house a few months ago. I say just moved because we're still unpacking, okay? And some of you have asked, are you settled yet? And my typical answer to that is, it depends on what you mean by settle. um, We are unpacking still, and we have boxes in the corners of a few of the rooms in our house. Don't judge us, okay? And I've got to be honest, we just don't see them anymore, They're just there. They're a part of the landscape. Until someone comes over and they're like, and then we're like, oh my goodness, our house is a wreck. Hide it all, right? I think the same is true. I think the same is true of the way that most people, even followers of Jesus, interact with God. He's so constant. He's so good. He's so present. That we miss him that we miss him. What if this week, what if this week you decided that you were going to be intentional about practicing this command of Jesus? What if you decided you were going to look at the birds and just see? What you'll see is that the birds work really hard. They just don't worry. See, birds are too dumb to worry. (laughs) But we're often too smart to trust. What if you just went on a walk and looked at the flowers and thought, man, they're beautiful, and they didn't do anything to be beautiful. They just are, and God, maybe you're that good to me too. Help me see you, Lord. Help me see you. Let me repeat, if we don't look with intentionality, we won't see at all. Here's where Jesus goes next. Verse 30. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all of these things, but your heavenly father knows you need them all. Here's the question that Jesus is addressing in this section. Do you believe that there is enough to go around. Do you believe that this is a world full of abundance, or is it a world that we have to scrape by because it's scarce? Here's the movement because Tobin and Chesed are hunting you down. We can live with the mindset, a narrative, not of scarcity but of abundance. Yeah, scarcity means that there's limited good to go around. Under the banner of scarcity, if something good happens to somebody else, it's hard for us to celebrate because favor is in short supply. Somebody else gets a job and we're like, oh, good for you, sorta. <laughs> somebody else gets married, Wonderful. Have you ever had somebody to say to you something like, wow, it must be nice to catch all the breaks. This isn't narrative of scarcity. But if Tobin has said are everywhere, then we can actually celebrate with those who succeed. That we don't have to live in competition, comparison. That there's enough to go around, Jesus would say this world is teeming with Abundance. You don't need to scrape. You don't need to run over people. Love and goodness and beauty and joy are here and they are here in abundance. To quote Dr. Timothy Mackey, he says, creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guest in a world of opportunity and abundance. And when Tob and said are the foundation and are around every turn, radafing us every single moment of every single, single day, we can be confident there's enough to go around. And so maybe this week, you just put a stake in the ground and say, I believe that. And in light of that, I'm going to begin to live with a little bit more generosity. I'm going to open my hands a little bit more. Maybe if I'm behind you in Starbucks, you buy my drink. Just an an example. Or somebody else's right? Somebody else's. You look for ways to practice. This is not a world of scarcity. This is a world of abundance. And look at the way that David ends this song. He says, you follow me, goodness and mercy. Oh man, they are redoffing me every single day of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Say it with me, church. Forever. Forever, literally, the Hebrew reads for the length of days. Every translation I could find translates it the same way: Um, forever or eternally. There's this picture of David not just being chased by Tob and has said right now today, but he says, "Oh, I'm going to be surrounded by this for all of eternity." This is God's destiny for me. Jesus ends this section in the Sermon on the Mount with a very similar phrase. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom, his kingdom that is both now but not yet. His kingdom that is here, but that's also coming, and it's coming not in a different form, but it's coming someday without competition. And so what David says is, oh, you don't need to live with fatalism. You don't need to live with an, oh, it's just always going to be this way. Always going to be painful and it's always going to be sickness and there's always going to be death and there's always going to be sorrow and there's always going to be pain. You don't have to live that way because Jesus has walked out of the grave and his declaration is that there will be a day where there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things will pass away, and behold, the new will come. And that same has said, and same Tob that has followed you every day of your life here will be on full display in all of its glory for all of you eternity, and that's the conviction that followers of Jesus have held on to since their inception 2,000 years ago. The apostle Paul would write this, so we don't lose hope. Uh, We understand that, that evil's on the prowl also, but we don't lose hope. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day, for these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Notice, notice, that day by day, right now, renewal, maybe because Tobin has said we're hunting us, is coupled with eternal glory. That hunt will never end. Welcome to the gestalt switch. It's a shift to confidence, to awareness, to abundance, and to destiny because our world is teeming with Tob and has said It's around every corner of your life. Best day and on your worst day. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. And surely, his goodness is running after me and you. My hope is that these last seven weeks in Psalm 23 have filled your soul. It's reminded you of who you are and of who God is. And let me end with the same invitation that we started this series with. Don't just read Psalm 23 on your deathbed. Dwell in it every single day while invite us to, I'm going to invite you to sort of catch your breath for a moment. Put your stuff away, and then I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray together a closing prayer for this series, and then Dave's going to lead us in one last song this morning. Will you click back to that slide for me, please? So I'm going to invite you to to read this to pray with me as we sort of seal off this series together. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and faithfulness in my life. Thank you for all you've done for me in my past and for what you are preparing for my future. Uh, Uh-huh. Help me keep my eyes on you, trusting that you are my good shepherd. Give me eyes to see your goodness and love all the days of my life, and then help me extend it to others in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: This is my father's world. Oh. strong. God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied. And earth and all my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good, with every breath that I am able, oh I will sing of the mercy of God, let's sing that again.
1: you open your hands just palms to the sky and pray a blessing over you and Jesus as we finish this series our prayer is that you would bless us and be good to us you're our good shepherd we trust you that you would turn your face to us shower your grace down on us that you would look straight into our eyes And give us your peace. We trust that you are our shepherd. And it's our intention to be your sheep. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.